0: well good morning and welcome one more time to encounter church and uh it just strikes me today this morning this is the last regular uh sunday morning worship that we're going to be together for 2021 and so kind of with that in mind and coming up we got christmas uh christmas eve worship thursday and friday and then a couple of sabbath sundays for our volunteers you guys are awesome in the weeks after that and then the brand new series in the new year unfollow and so just like thinking about how this is the last time uh on a sunday morning we're going to be together like this in 2021 i want to uh i want to uh, like acknowledge this uh this year now coming to an end with a special uh, special update uh, God has been on the move uh, at Encounter Church, not just this morning or today or this month, but throughout the entire year. And what we did as a staff is we collected some of the highlights and some of the stories of, of impact and life change throughout the year and some of the goals that we have uh, for the year, three years, ten years down the road, and compiled all of that on a website. You can go to encounterchurch.org slash annual report and we're a phone friendly church as well so if you kind of got to tune out and get bored while I'm talking during the message that's okay that happens you can go to encounterchurch.org slash annual report and if you're distracted by reading about what God has been up to this whole year listen I'm okay with that (laughs) that's just fine And also in reflecting on, this is our last Sunday morning uh, in this year, uh, I want to impress upon you how much of our next year, how much of our 2022 year is determined by your financial gifts and contributions uh, this this month, really. And so I know that you're getting inundated with uh, lots of invitations uh, to consider charitable giving. I I want you to consider Encounter Church, your home church, to be a part of that as well. Maybe you've never given uh, to Encounter or to a church in general and you're just like not really sure and this represents a courageous next step for you and i want to honor that process and if you want to have a conversation about that and about what the what the gifts go to the ministry here near and far i would uh, i'd be honored by that conversation as well we're in a we're in a series right now uh, called fearless it's not fearless it's fearless we're learning how to live with less fear in our lives and we're doing that by taking a look at uh, these words of the angel in fact every time the angel shows up to somebody in the christmas story the words accompany do not be Afraid. The angel shows up to Mary, we heard in part one, and says, Listen, the Holy Spirit coming upon you, and now you're with child, and it's not your husband's. This is a considerable life interruption. And we said, Don't be afraid. God is inviting you. It's not an in, it's not a interruption. He's inviting you to consider a different, a better, a higher way of living. We heard last week in part two about the angel coming to Joseph and now his wife is pregnant and he knows it's not his. And the angel's said, like, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Don't be afraid at what other people are going to think of you. Stop obsessing about what they think. You can't please everyone. You might as well please just one, the one whose opinion actually matters. And now in part three, we're talking about uh, the angel coming to the shepherds, watching their flocks at night. And those words, do not be afraid to answer this simple question, (laughs) where do I stand with God? Angel coming to the shepherds answers the question for us thousands of years later, where do I stand with God? Even if you think that you have kind of an inkling, an inclination on, on the answer to this question, I'd like to... I'd like to make this like an interactive experience for us. So nothing, nothing too bold, nothing too outside of yourselves, but let's play a little game. And everybody in the room is invited to play. Everybody Fulton Heights looking at you guys, you're definitely invited to play. If you're watching this message at home in your living room, or you're listening to it in the car, if you've got one hand to to operate the radio, you've got one hand to play the game. So what we're going to do, hands at the ready, we are going to, I'm going to say a prayer that I learned as a kid. I think, uh, I think a few of you also may have learned as a kid. And when I get to the scary, freaky, terrifying part of the prayer, just put your hand up and say, I think it's that one. Okay? So, this, so we're on the same page. We understand how the game works. You get your hands up the ready. When we get to the scary part of the prayer, we'll put our hands up and say, I think it's that one. You got it? All right, here's the prayer that I learned. As a kid, you kneel uh, before the bed with my dad, right? And we say a prayer. We say, now I lay me down to sleep. Oh, that's, not, that's not scary. That's not terrifying. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Okay, not bad. If I die before I wake. There's the hands. I see you, right? I pray the Lord my soul to take. Okay, good night. Lights go off. I'll see you later. you wait, wait a second. That's it? That's how I fall asleep at night? Yeah, also don't let the bed bugs bite. Why do we do this to our children, right? Why do we teach them the prayers? If I die before, it starts to instill into us that going before God, and probably sort of rightfully so, there's some truth to it, is is an awe-inspiring, is almost like this terrifying experience. If I die before I win. And so it's like, wait a second, let me just ask one more time. As a kid, like, lights out, where do I stand with God? Like, I don't know. We just pray this prayer. And that kind of, if you're like me, it grows up with you too, right? Like, that doesn't, that doesn't entirely go away. So I'm thinking about, fast forward, I'm a teenager and, you know, I'm not doing, like, the bedside prayers with my dad anymore. I'm, like, I'm trying to own this thing for myself. And I'm a teenager, and I'm talking to God. I'm, like, praying to God in my bed after lights out. And it starts off with an audible voice, an audible prayer, you know. But I'm tired. Eyelids are getting heavy. So we, we turn the audible voice into, like, a whisper. And then the whisper becomes, well, God knows my inmost thoughts. So i just kind of talk to him in my head. He's there. He's with me now. And I'm talking to him. And I'm kind of I get talking to God, saying my prayers. And all of a sudden, before I know it, it's the morning. I, felt, I fell asleep on God. Like the audacity that I would have to go into the throne room of heaven, God's presence, interrupt whatever he's got going on, and saying, listen, to my prayer. And then I fell asleep on him? I mean, how offensive is that? It's a true story. I was, uh, I was taking a, a college class one time, and um, I was a good student, I'll have you know. But my roommate who I was taking the class with... Um, well, let's continue the story. Uh, he's across the room, and uh, and we're taking this class. And the professor's like doing this thing, doing his doing his lecture, and I hear coming from the voice I know is my old college roommate. And he's going, Ugh. and he's like, you could hear a pin drop after the yawn. The professor like stops what he's doing. He turns around. He looks right at him because he knew he knew who it was, and he goes, "I'm sorry. Am I boring you right now?" full disclosure it was like a classical art class for core and i'm like yeah dude you're kind of like boring almost all of us right now but like i knew not to yawn audibly right and i we remember the story differently i remember him getting kicked out at that moment because the professor was just so angry about it he's like no, no i never got i never got kicked out of any classes uh, at all but we, we diverge on on that side of things but i remember i remember distinctively how upset the instructor was that somebody was just bored by him and now we like overlay that on top of god and like how much more offensive is it to go to god at night and to get just so bored in the presence of the divine and we drift off no amen no see you later talk to you later (laughs) nothing just gone it's now morning time where must i stand with god you know as a kid as a teenager i don't think that goes away i shared this story about a year ago if you remember it that's awesome but uh helen 90 year old helen true story uh helen's granddaughter decided she wanted to go ask her 90 year old grandmother you know, hey, if you died, you know, like, are you, confidence, faith-wise, we've never actually had this conversation. It's important to me. I want to know what's important to you. So she goes to her 90-year-old grandmother's house under the guise of, like, can you teach me your world-famous chocolate chip cookie recipe? So they do the batter. They got the, everything in the, uh, uh, cookies are in the oven. And she pops the question to her grandma. Um, if you died today, do you know with certainty that you would go to heaven? A 90 year old grandma looks at her daughter and says, Honey, I sure hope so. And the granddaughter's like, I hope so? I hope so? That's the best you can come up with, Helen? Like, you're a woman who stood by your husband until his last dying day. I mean, you're somebody who was involved in your community. You served at your church. You read your Bible. You drive the speed limit and pay your taxes for 90 years. And the best you can come up with is, I sure hope so. Guys, if Helen isn't 100% sure where she stands with God, what chance do any of us have? And the answer that we get is coming to us from the, of all people, from the shepherds in a story to answer the question for us, where do I stand with God? So we're going to open up, we're going to open up the Bible to Luke chapter 2. And I want to invite you to open it up with me. You can find it on your phone. If you're not checking out the annual report, you can go to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read the story. For some of you who've maybe been to church, this is not like your first Christmas season. This is going to be a very familiar story. But what I'd like to do is, uh, is invite you to hear the story kind of disassociated, de- detached from the barnacles of the pageantry that we have put on it, attached onto it over the years. And just hear it as a story that Luke wants to tell, wants to tell us. So this is how it goes from Luke chapter 2. It started off uh, Luke 2 verse 8. It says that there were shepherds, living out in the fields uh, nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. There's a lot there. Continue on, verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were terrified. Because the angel, remember, is not this little chubby baby angel with the weird wings on its back. It's like a, it's something worth being terrified of. But the angel said to them, like Mary, like Joseph, same words, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. That will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David in Bethlehem. A Savior has been born to you, and He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. I mean, this is like this is a good news kind of story. A Savior has been born. I mean, back then, not unlike today, uh, when uh, when there was news worth celebrating, they were looking for people to celebrate with. And so what they would do is uh, commonplace that if you had kind of any means really at all or or in proportion to the means that you did have, you would hire a herald. You would hire uh, somebody to go out and to share uh, your good news with everybody else because you wanted somebody to, to celebrate with. And we kind of do the same thing today, don't we? I mean, this is what like gender reveal parties are. Like we just want to celebrate with somebody, and so we're gonna pop a balloon and like a certain color, confetti is gonna come out. We wanna celebrate. So we're gonna do like donuts, burnouts in the parking lot, and whatever color the smoke comes out of the tires. That could just be a me thing. All right. Uh we just we want, when we have good news, we want to share the good news with the other good people in our lives. I mean, God here is no exception. He abides by the cultural expectations and sends a herald. This time, it's an, an like a literal angel, okay? But the angel shows up and brings that good news. Not to Caesar in Rome somewhere, not to, not to Herod the king, not even to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and say, hey, there's a Messiah. Let's go, Pharisees. Let's go, Sadducees. You've got good news now. You don't have to be so... Sad, you see. But you're all weak, you guys. Just wait until Christmas. Uh, the the herald, the angel, doesn't go to any of those groups. It's telling. The angel goes to the shepherds. Now the shepherds have kind of a kind of a complicated relationship in the Bible. Uh, complicated relationship to just about everybody else around. Because on the one hand, you're like, there's a long line of shepherds in the Bible that are really important. David was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Amos was a shepherd. We could go through like all that. Moses was a shepherd. We could go through a long list of shepherds in the Bible. And you think, what a noble profession. Pause. It's important to realize that God chose all of these shepherds not because they were shepherds, but in spite of the fact that they were shepherds. David Not being around when the prophet comes and says, Hey, Jesse, somebody new from your family is going to be king. And not everybody is here because the littlest one is out watching the sheep as a shepherd. That's not like an endorsement for him. That's like, this is the worst possible job. And so we gave it to the littlest brother. Come on, some of you youngest are like, I know that life, right? I get that life. You didn't want to be a shepherd. We heard about the engagement process last week. where The the three-step process, the first step was like engagement time and it's not like on one knee you know big rock violin music uh no no it's it's dads like hammering out an agreement a contract before the betrothal where mary and joseph were i mean could you imagine like a dad trying to hammer out negotiate a marriage contract my son's a shepherd, my son's a shepherd it's gonna be rough What I want us to hear, and what's important for us this morning to read ourselves into the story, that the entire religious system was stacked against the shepherds and wrote them off completely. Probably for good reason. One of the commentators that I was reading wrote about the shepherds that they had a reputation for being, you know, nomads They like sweep through the area. And uh, the reputation was that they often confused mine and thine when it came to personal property rights. Like they would take their flocks, their large flocks through a town and they'd graze. And there's not like perfectly green manicured lawns that the sheep would graze on. It's little, little bits of grass tucked in between the rocks in a desert here and there. And they kind of sweep through and like locusts, just eat everything. As the shepherds take their big flocks through some little villages, little flocks, the villagers kind of notice something over time. Huh, it, seems like, it seems like your big flock, after you left town, got a little bit bigger and my little flock got a little bit smaller after you left. Huh, what's that all about? It even got to the point where the religious uh, authorities, the religious leaders said, Hey, listen, um, we can't like certify the... Uh, The legitimacy and authenticity of the shepherds' wares. So unless you've got like an authorizing entity behind you, we can't can't know if these sheep are fair trade. (laughs) They might be stolen. In fact, it was so often that the sheep and the wares were stolen that the shepherds were selling that it was actually illegal for the average person to buy things from the shepherds. His reputation is pretty small. It was illegal for the shepherds to testify in a court case because their reputation, their credibility was so sapped that it wasn't even worth putting them on the stand as a witness. Yeah, the religious system was stacked against the shepherds. And we're going to read ourselves into this story in a few different ways. The first one is that we can see that the shepherds in the story were unworthy, They lived a life when it came to the religious bylaw of being an unworthy people. You want some irony, guys. Some uh, some geography and some history. The Jewish people had to go to the temple every so often and offer up a sacrifice in order to be, like, cleared and absolved of their sins. That's how they got right with God. They offered a sacrifice. The shepherds didn't have an opportunity to go to the temple to offer up those sacrifices. They had, to have some, they had to be washing their sheep this entire time. They knew of their reputation. There'd be a long line of people who were ready to take what's theirs back. The irony is that when we pick up on this story in Bethlehem, they're about six miles Away from Jerusalem, away from the temple, the epicenter of religious life, which means that the sheep that they were watching that night were very likely the same sheep that would be offered up for sacrifices on behalf of someone else. Their sheep were good enough to get someone else right with God, but not me. If you're a shepherd, you're going, but me, I'm still, I'm unworthy. This is where I like to, uh, to invite us into the story. And to say, yeah, there, there's times, there's times, aren't there? When we just like look around and we say, man, I see the highlight reel of everybody else's life and I see the behind the scenes of my life. And it's easy, it's easy to come to the conclusion that I'm just an unworthy person. Like we kind of get, sometimes we get like a little bit dressed up, you know. For, for church, I'm talking, even at Encounter, which is like a space, the Kentwood location at least, the space that lends itself well to darkness, very unpolished in the most literal sense of the word. Fulton Heights, you guys are blessed, okay. Just don't take that, don't take carpet for granted. You know, but like even when it comes to a casual environment like this, like guys, I wear... I'm probably going to wear a tie on Christmas and half of you are going to make a comment about wearing a tie. And I wear a tie like twice a year when Jesus breaks into the world and then when he dies to save it, like Christmas and Easter, I wear a tie and I don't, I don't know why, but it just like, it kind of feels right, you know? And we kind of like, girls will wear dresses, the boys have some of their bow ties on. My kids are also probably going to come to church in their pajamas, right? <laughs> and like, oh, uh, is this like a fun thing we're doing on Christmas Eve? And it's like, oh, No, we just never got dressed this morning. (laughs) That's the deal. And you see somebody else's highlight reel, and you see my behind the scenes of like, why can't I get it together? And it's easy to like write yourself into the shepherds and be like, I I feel a little unworthy as a result. Shepherds and I, we feel unworthy. Uh, second one is inadequate. We talk about the sacrificial system of the shepherds. Uh, What about... What about the Sabbath system of the shepherds? I mean, if it was too much of an imposition to leave their sheep, to go and offer a sacrifice and then come back, taking a day every week and just like not watching your sheep? Like, how's that going to turn out, right? How are you going to observe Sabbath day by keeping it holy, abstaining from work as a shepherd? You've got to be kidding me they had rules about everything and you think they're going to try to like weasel in some way to keep their sheep alive so they can come back to it the next day every week take a day off no there's a rule guiding this whole thing you know when it comes to a sabbath day observance they said okay we've got every possible circumstance situation spelled out for you so you know what's work and what's not it's that clear it was the kind of clarity that said, when you're finished eating and you're going to slide a chair back from the table, that's work. But if you to pick up your chair, move it back and set it down, it's not work. And the difference is the sliding motion on a dirt floor could create a groove which feels a lot like plowing a field which we know is work and therefore it's illegal. You're outside of compliance with the commandment, uh, keep the Sabbath day holy. These shepherds are going, you've got to be kidding me. I am so far from keeping this religious system. <laughs> I'm just going to give up entirely. You kind of feel inadequate sometimes? Maybe unworthy, maybe inadequate? You know, when you go to, go to the person's house and Every time without fail. You can show up like middle of the day, middle of the night, unannounced. Doesn't matter. You show up. and And there's always like nothing on the countertops, nothing on the floors. And it always has a candle burning in the scent that represents the season that they're in. You're like, who are you? Who lives like that? You're going like, uh, meanwhile, I don't know what kind of floors I have because I haven't seen them in a long time. The scent of the season, every season, is laundry, period, <laughs> full stop. There's a little sense of inadequacy that uh, starts to creep up as a result. Man, how come other people can like, get it together, keep it together so well? Why not me? Maybe there's a sense of uh, unworthiness. Maybe there's this inadequacy that creeps in but i think the biggest one of everything is that the system that the shepherds lived into just made them know that they were unloved That nobody cared the reputation that i mentioned the reputation that thousands of years later people would still be writing about you. And what they would say is, yeah, they had a tendency to confuse mine and thine in property rights. Even if you weren't a thief, people just assumed you were. So yeah, when your dad goes to negotiate a marriage contract, who's going to love you? back the life of a shepherd i want to be real on this one because this year i think statistically but i feel anecdotally at least in the community that there's a lot of people who are celebrating christmas traditions this week and a family that's non-divided. There's a lot of people celebrating Christmas this week in a family with missing members. And those same Chris, Christmas traditions, just hit a little bit different, don't they? There's just something hollow, something missing. Someone missing about it. And maybe it's a spouse that left. Maybe it's a dad or mom that left. But it just gives the impression, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm not the one worthy of love. Bottom line for the shepherds, the bottom line for you and I today, is that the religious system was not working for them, and it doesn't work for us either. This Christmas, we recognize that we are not celebrating the advent. We're not celebrating the coming of a rule book or a miniature Ten Commandments guide. We are celebrating the advent of a person not a, not a contract. You know the, the difference between a contract in a covenant that Jesus establishes. The contract has like terms and agreements to it, right? A contract has a do this, follow the rules, follow the guides, the laws, you know, check these things off one after the other, follow everything to a T, and then God is like, I'll take care of you, I'll bless you, I'll, I'll you're in my family, I'll take care of you from now on forever and ever, amen. But the problem with the contract is that there's no way we could possibly live up to it, and like the shepherds we just dig ourselves more and more in into a hole all the time. There's a difference between a contract and a covenant. A, A contract is determined by terms. Covenant is determined by relationship. It's a significant thing that on this Christmas, we're celebrating the advent, the coming of a person who comes into our life. And so when God looks at each one of us, He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our faults. He doesn't see our failures. He sees all the goodness, the justice, the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. It's a covenant. God is binding himself to us out of relationship, not contract, built on terms and agreements. And you know what that is? That's good news. That's good news for everybody this Christmas. Listen to these words. I like to read them like one more time. Listen to these words from the angel and to all of us. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I bring you good news. It's good news for all the people, all the people that are unworthy, all the people that are inadequate, all the people that are unlovable. I bring you good, good news. God doesn't want your, God doesn't just want your obedience. He wants your company. He wants to be with you. He wants to hear from you. He wants to talk with you. That's what it means. That's what Christmas means, that God broke into this world to be with us and to be like us. I think about um, falling asleep before God. And if we have a contract with God, like we have a contract with so many other people in our lives, if we have a contract with our employers, there's sort of an understated contract in a classroom setting, <laughs> you fall asleep on the job, you know the terms and conditions that apply. It's not good news. But God established with us this Christmas not a contract, but a covenant. Not terms and conditions, but a relationship. I've had the blessing... Of having a child fall asleep in my hands countless times, as I'm holding their, my kids, admittedly when they were much smaller, and they went to bed earlier. <laughs> I'm just watching them talk, at me and babble at me. As their eyelids start to get heavy, and they doze in and out, and then they stop talking. And I just feel their weight and feel their warmth as they just breathe in and out. It's not a contract, it's a covenant. It's a relationship. I'm not offended that they fell asleep while talking to me. I'm honored by it because I got to have a relationship with them. Your heavenly father, wants to have a relationship with you. You may have felt alienated from God because of the religious system, because you felt inadequate, unworthy, unloved. This is your chance to say back to God, yes, I want that relationship with you too. If that's you, During this last song, we have a prayer team set up in back. They would love to pray with you. Maybe you're still finding your identity in Jesus, but you're still struggling with a concept of what it means to be unworthy or unloved or inadequate. Let's pray together. Let's see what God's doing in our lives. Because after all, he doesn't just want your obedience. God doesn't just love you to death and back. Get this, get this. He likes you. And prefers your company. It's good news. I want to invite you to stand up as we go to that God in His throne room. And before we do, there's another tradition that the people had thousands of years ago. That good news was a specific term. Euangelos in Greek. The good news was that it was a person designated out onto a, onto a battlefield to just observe how it's going. Because the decision makers, the kings and the generals, uh, back where it's safe, needed to know what's happening. So it was somebody's job to observe what's happening on the battlefield and then report it back as fast as they could. So they find find a a speedy runner observing the battle and then knowing whether it's good or bad takes that message and doesn't walk. No, no, no. They run as swiftly, as fastly as they possibly can back to the king and back to the generals, the decision makers and saying, it's bad news. We're losing ground. It's coming down all around us. We need to pack up and we need to run. Or the runner comes back carrying the yuan gloss and saying, it's good news. There's victory. We can stay. We don't have to run. We don't have to hide anymore. It's good news. Church, the shepherds, You and I, as unlovable, as inadequate, as unworthy as they and we possibly are, at our worst, even at our best, God chose you to be the runners, to carry the good news. We got Christmas coming up, Thursday and Friday. We're worshiping God, breaking into the world that He once made. We get to invite, we get to call in, we get to be the carriers and the runners of the good news to a community that desperately needs it. Let's go to that, God, right now. God, we pray to you as one who wildly entrusted us with being the carriers of your good news message. God, we don't get it. Why would you do that to somebody like us, somebody unworthy, inadequate, unlovable like us? But God, foolishness to the world is wisdom to you. And this is what you chose to do. We celebrate you and we praise you for it. But, Spirit, we also need your courage to follow through, uh, to make those invitations the friends, to neighbors, to co workers, to family members, running to them as you. Hey Church, it's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.